God Hears Her. God Hears Her. God Hears Her is brought to you. Is brought to you. By our Daily Bread Ministries. Visit GodHearsHer.org. Visit GodHearsHer.org. Or find us on social for more information. And the really silly thing is, when you look out at creation, God is not someone who's in a box. And he's always creating the most outrageous things. Some of them at the bottom of the sea that we're never even going to be able to look at. He just is a creator and an artist and there's no end to his inventions. So why would we think a God like that would want cookie cutter people? So when we compare ourselves, we're kind of missing the point that God has a specific thing that only we can do. And that's very inspiring and exciting. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you. He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Elisa Morgan. And I'm Erin Eddy. Our God is an amazing artist, and there is no end to what He can create. So why do we continue to compare ourselves to others instead of embracing who God made us to be? Since everything He has created has a purpose, Why do we keep questioning our gifts and our talents? It's so easy to get wrapped up in the questions like, why can't I be creative like her? Or why aren't I logically or mathematically driven like so-and-so? We can get so caught up in comparison that we can sometimes forget to embrace the unique gifts and talents that God has given each one of us. On today's episode, our guest, Sally Lloyd-Jones, admits her own struggle with comparison, and she challenges that struggle in us. But before we get to the conversation, just a little bit of information about Sally. She's a New York Times best-selling children's book writer, and you may recognize her name from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which has sold over 3 million copies and has been translated into 46 languages. Wow. But writing a children's Bible was never part of Sally's plan. If anything, her plans would have kept her from being involved in this project. But that's getting ahead of the story. So let's get to it. This is God Hears Her with Sally Lloyd-Jones. So Erin, have you ever seen the Jesus Storybook Bible? Yes. (laughs) I first became acquainted with it um, when a friend gave it to me and my grandson was three. Mm. And I remember tucking it into his nightstand in his Mm. stay over at Yaya's house bed, which was actually incidentally a race car bed. And Mm -hmm. I remember one time pulling it down and starting to read through it. And I forgot he was even there because I was completely <laughs> absorbed in it for myself. And he starts punching me. Well, yeah, yeah, no, slow down. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, that's my bad. <laughs> I have loved this. And, and he is almost 17. So just so you know, that's a long wow. relationship with the Jesus mm. Storybook Bible. Mm. So as we have the chance to talk with Sally Lloyd-Jones, who is the author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, I come with a heart that's just like, because I'm so happy. <laughs> Sally, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Sally, can you tell us the story of the Jesus Storybook Bible, You know how it even came to be, yeah. and how has it shaped you? Yeah. Yes, it was published in 2007. So it's like, what, 15? I'm not good at math. 
That's why <laughs> that's good. I'm not a mathematician. Yes, I, I would say the answer to that question is it sort of takes your whole life when you write a book. It's not just the time mm -hmm. it takes to write it. It's what God sort of sowed in you from the very beginning. And this book in particular, I can, I can trace back to when I was a little girl going to a Sunday school when I was about six. And I have a memory, like a photograph in my head, of walking to Sunday school, holding my dad's hand, saying to myself, making a vow, really, when I grow up, I'm never going to church ever again. Ah. And... For whatever reason, as a six-year-old, I'm sure the Sunday school people, you know, they were volunteers, they were doing the best they could. But as a six-year-old, the message I got from that Sunday school was that I was doing it wrong. Hmm. And it was like the worst of school on a Sunday. So what child wants to go and be told they're doing it wrong? And it was very, very much about following the rules so God will love you. That's what my six-year-old brain told me. Whether or not that was really what was being told, I don't know. But I do know that I had become a Christian when I was four. So I knew Jesus was my best friend. So the bizarre thing is, even though I knew Jesus was my best friend, and I probably would have got all the answers right if someone had asked me about Bible questions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I actually missed everything that the Bible was about. So I, I knew Jesus loved me. But I thought God really wasn't pleased with me, that he was this hard taskmaster and I had to be good for him to love me. And I had to be like Daniel in the lion's den. And if I wasn't like Daniel in the lion's den, then I wasn't doing it right. So how could God love me? I, I was sure he couldn't. So no wonder I didn't want to go to, to church ever again. Hmm. So really, that's a long answer to, I wanted that little six-year-old to know what somehow I missed, what the Bible's all about. It's not about what we're supposed to do so God will love us. It's about how God loves us and what he did because he loved us. Mm. That's so beautiful, Sally. You said something really profound that I just loved, and I want you to repeat it again because you breeze past it so eloquently. <laughs> um, you shared how writing a book is life's work. Like It was a journey to bring you to that point that yes. God really unveiled more of what he wanted to show other people through you and your past yes. journey. Will you share more a little bit about that? I feel like people listening, sometimes they think that the circumstances that they might be going through are mm -hmm. just in these moments, but God has maybe refined them to this point in their life journey. Yes, I think I didn't always used to think that. I used to think there's that wonderful saying, compare and despair. Mm -hmm. But I think when we're younger, especially, we're always comparing ourselves to other people. And the really the silly thing is, when you look out at creation, God is not someone who's in a box and he's always creating the most outrageous things, some of them at the bottom of the sea that we're never even going to be able to look at. He just is a creator and an artist and there's no end to his inventions. Mm. So why would we think a God like that would want cookie cutter people? Mm. And I think the real freedom, and this is something I've learned as a writer, one of my editors said to me, because uh, I was worrying about, oh, I'm not going to be able to write because like so-and-so. And they said, well, we already have so-and-so. We need you. Now, that's wisdom from a writing perspective, but it's true of all of us that I know as a writer, I have to write what only I can write. That's mm -hmm. not an arrogant thing. It's actually saying, I'm not going to be able to be as good as J.K. Rowling at what she's doing. J.K. Rowling is much better at being J.K. Rowling than I am. Mm -hmm. God has a different yeah. job for me. 
So when we compare ourselves, we're kind of missing the point that God has a specific thing that only we can do. And that's very inspiring and exciting. Mm. So freeing, Sally. Mm -hmm. I I heard someone say one time that competition is repetition. And it's kind of what you were just saying that we're just repeating somebody else's offering instead of bringing ours Yes. And I think as women, especially, we tend to underestimate what comes easily to us. So Mm -hmm. for instance, for me, there are things like, like I'm terrible at math. So I think that's, you know, I could easily start thinking I better train myself so I can get better at maths. That would be a hopeless task, but I could be thinking that way. (laughs) Fortunately, I don't do any of my own accounting because it would be dreadful. I'd be probably in prison because I'd have got it all wrong. But I relate to that. (laughs) You know, the point is we're not supposed to look at what we can't do. We're supposed to look at what God's given us to do. And sometimes Mm. the thing that comes easiest, like I have a friend who loves hospitality. So she adores cooking and having people in her home. She comes alive. I love having people, but I would be stressed out because that would cost Mm. me a lot because that's not necessarily my main gift. But she takes that for granted. She thinks everyone can do that because she can do it. And I think we tend to do that. So Mm. sometimes the thing where it's an ease for you, it doesn't mean you haven't Mm. worked hard to get to that ease. But when it when there's an ease in something and you're in the center of the stream of what God has for you, it's easy to sort of forget, oh, not everyone can do that. That's a gift. Yeah. It's not not everyone can do it just because you can do it. Yeah. Was there an so experience, a, a moment, a, a time of transition for you that you began to understand this, that you began to yes. step out of the shoulds and into who you really are? Well, I still struggle with the shoulds. Um, mm-hmm. Who does but I'm right getting <laughs> Right. I'm getting yeah. more clear about, oh, I could separate myself from these stories I'm telling myself. Mm-hmm. Because they're always the same stories, aren't they? Whatever we're saying to ourselves in our, our narrative in our head, it's usually just the same old siren song. You know, whatever it is. Maybe it's, for me, it could be, you're not a good writer, you don't know what you're doing. Well, if you sit down to try and write something and that's going on in your head, you're not going to mm-hmm. have a very nice time. So I could right. I could choose to say, oh, there it goes again, that story I'm telling. And the minute mm. I do that, I separate myself and I realize I'm not that story. That's just my brain telling me that. So I don't have to believe that. I believe God. Mm. And with the Jesus Storybook Bible, when I sat down to write, I had all of that going on. Plus, I had very holy people saying in my head, oh, no, you can't mess around with scripture. If you mess around with scripture, you're going to be and whatever, fill in the blank. So I had all of this resistance in my head. Anne Lamott talks about it in her book, uh, Bird Mm -hmm. by Bird, on writing and life, about the dysfunctional relatives that pull up their chair behind you when you sit down Mm -hmm. to write. Isn't that a great mental picture? And that's true, isn't it? Because it it doesn't have to be a writer. It could be anything, anything you're doing. And I realized, okay, God, and this is what I'd say before I sat down. I'd go, God, I can't do this. This job is impossible. I can't do it. It's much too, you've got me into this mess. Yeah. So you better do it. So unless you do it, it uh. won't get done. So you better do it. So now I'm going to write. Well, I really should do that with everything I do. It shouldn't just be right. the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it shouldn't just be churchy things. Like I, I write, mm. most of my books are for the general market. Well, because they're all written to children and children are people who may never have come to church. I just write for Mm -hmm. them so they know they're loved. Well, at first I separated it. I thought, well, I can 
I can pray about the holy job, but I can't pray about the general. So I can pray about the Jesus Storybook Bible, but I can't pray about a potty training book. These are the wrong beliefs we have. And again, it goes back to God is this incredible creator. Mm. He's just as pleased if you help a toddler not be scared of potty training as he is if you tell a story about the feeding of the 5,000. It's mm. us who are too rigid and too boring, really. Mm. You know, if we love the Lord, he's at the center of our heart. If we've submitted to him, everything coming out of us when we're working in the gift he's given us is going to bless the world. And it might not have the name Bible on it, yeah. but it's about shalom and human flourishing mm. and reaching for me, it's about reaching children wherever they are to know mm. wherever they are, no matter their background, faith, creed, color of their skin, that God made them and loves them and they're extremely important to them and they have a part to play. Mm. That's just so beautiful. You said, Sally, something about how when you were six years old, walking to church with your dad holding his hand and you just determined in your heart you really didn't want any other child to ever have to have a kind of a, this wonky view of God that you're talking about this where we separate God into the sacred and then the rest of life you know and we do the sacred with him and we do the rest of life without him <laughs> or we're terrified he's going to get mad at us if we do one thing wrong and we think of him that way when and how did this shift in your own realization happened mm. to you that you could even see, oh, I'm viewing this wrongly. I'm viewing this in a wonky way that that really pushes the God who is true, the real God, out. Yeah. How did that come to be born in you? I think, again, it's sort of part of that journey was God, he reached me when I was four as a little girl. There's that memory when I'm six. This is all equipping me, I know, <laughs> to write the Jesus Storybook Bible. Then I'm six. Then I grow up. I go to Paris when I'm a student. I meet incredible Christians. I'm at the embassy church. Some of my best friends I made there. I was studying French and going to the Sorbonne and art history. And I had the most fun year. I didn't learn a lot of French, but I had the best year. And it was a huge step because it was when I knew, I mean, I was a Christian. I knew God loved me. Mm. I'd given my life to him. But I still was keeping my options open because I think I still thought, God was out to get me. I, I think we all tend to think that. We have to really fight against it because it's ultimately yeah. the first temptation the enemy whispers, is God really good, is what he's really saying in the in the garden, in the serpent. Yeah. Like, isn't he holding out on you? Isn't he really not wanting you to be happy? That's the, the siren song of the enemy. So I was in Paris and it was during that time that I thought, well, I either stay on the fence, keeping my options open, or I go for it, you know? And when we come back, Sally will admit to a few things and people that nearly kept her from committing fully to Jesus and why she decided to go for it. That's coming up on God Hears Her. Thank you for listening to this God Hears Her podcast. Elise and I love sharing this space with you, and we want to invite you to become an even bigger part of our God Hears Her community by signing up for our weekly email newsletters. We'll keep you updated on new podcasts, encouraging blog posts, exciting new products, and so much more. Just go to GodHearsHer.org and sign up today. That's GodHearsHer.org. Now back to the show. 
Welcome back to God Hears Her. I'm Erin Eddy. And I'm Elisa Morgan. And in just a minute, we will hear from Sally Lloyd-Jones on how the Jesus Storybook Bible came to be and how God used that journey to transform Sally's faith. But before we do, just a quick reminder that the show notes are available in the podcast description. The show notes not only contain the talking points for today's episode, but also include a link to a free resource. It's an e-booklet titled Comparison, The Thief of Joy. And this free download can help us understand how comparison can leave us depressed and anxious and how overcoming that habit and discovering joy can fuel gratitude and service and a thriving connection with God. This digital download is yours for free, so just click on the link in the podcast description or visit our website at godhearsher.org. That's godhearsher.org. Now, back to our conversation with Sally. So far, Sally has shared with us what she called compare and despair, and how we can often forget that in God's unlimited ability to create, He made all of us with our own abilities and purpose. Sally also shared with us how easy it is to compartmentalize the the sacred and the rest of life, and how that broken view of God's design led her to a moment when she had to decide if she would go for it or not. Would she stop standing on the fence between faith and doubt and jump into all God had for her to become or not? And that's where we pick up on the conversation. This is God Hears Her. So Sally, you you talked about in France that you were kind of on a fence trying to decide, you know, what to do with your faith. You know, what is this going to play out for me in life? And was there an event that helped you navigate that? I think so. Again, I had this distorted idea that, you know, the beautiful thing about Christianity is it's the most inclusive of all faiths in a way, because you don't have to be clever. You don't have to be able to do certain things. Anyone can come, a little tiny child, an old person, someone who's popular, someone who's not popular. That's part of the beauty of the faith and one of the things I love about it. But what that means is everyone can come. And so you sometimes get misfits, right? And so at my (laughs) university, the Christian Union was filled with misfits. And my, Mm. as an 18-year-old, when you're so conscious of your own image, I was like, if this is what it means to be Christian, I can't, I can't. I had a a cool friend and we both would go, well, we thought we were cool. Perhaps we were <laughs> misfits, but we we just really, we really didn't like being associated, which is, I'm ashamed to say it, but that's how we felt. And so I started mm-hmm. to think as a Christian, you're just weird and you don't know yes. anything and you're miserable and you're kind of depressed and, I, and you don't wash your hair. That's how I thought. I just thought you wore <laughs> anorak. Don't wash your hair. Don't wash your hair. Good. And you're yeah, miserable. Okay. So then I go to Paris and I meet Christians who are so filled with joy and it changed everything. Mm-hmm. And I thought, mm-hmm. these are such fun people. I want to be their friends regardless. And that joy is infectious. And I think it was in Paris that I I really realized, yeah, I love that everyone can come and I don't have to be depressed and I can wash my hair and be a Christian <laughs> and have fun. <laughs> I yes. can have fun. Yes. That is such a great soundbite. I can be a Christian and I can wash my wash hair. Wash my hair. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Then I came to America when I was 29. And that was part of a journey. It's sort of gradual. I mean, I was always a Christian. It's just I think I was in the world of rules and mm. works. And performance, and I hadn't, yeah. 
and performance and I'm a perfectionist so it all fitted in perfectly then I start going to Redeemer and hearing Tim Keller now I had also you know benefited from John Stott's ministry from mm. David Pryor Michael Green David Martin Lloyd-Jones so all of these amazing Amy Carmichael Corrie ten Boom mm. so I had all of that richness Chronicles of Narnia so I knew the language of grace then I come to Redeemer in New York and I heard how Jesus is in the Old Testament and it changed everything. Because mm. I think I had separated the New Testament, like, yes, I can understand that Jesus loves me, but God in the Old Testament, he just doesn't like me. Mm. Again, very wonky. But I hear this Christ-centric preaching where every story turns on the rescuer, the redeemer, that the story of David and Goliath isn't there to tell me I'm supposed to be brave like David so I can defeat all my giants, which to me leaves me in despair because I'm still, I'm doing it wrong. I'm not brave enough. But mm -hmm. to realize it's there to point to the fact that none of us can defeat the ultimate giants that can really hurt us, which is sin and death. Yeah. And God always knew that. And he has provided the hero, the young hero. And one day... He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And once I started hearing that kind of theology, I think it just transformed the way I thought about everything. Mm. You know, it's heartbreaking. It just is so poignant when you realize the God of the Old Testament is all about mm. doing everything he can to rescue us. Mm. And it's not like, you know, it, he's the father, like Abraham you know, didn't have to sacrifice his only son, but God did. Mm -hmm. When you start seeing it like that, you realize God's heart is beautiful for us. Mm. The heartbreak I'm hearing, and, and I'm feeling the conviction of it too, is that we all compartmentalize God. Mm. You, yeah. you just use the illustration of the New Testament and the Old Testament, as if Jesus is only in the New Testament and the Old Testament was about what happened before Jesus came. And Sally, the, the message that you're calling up and bringing forward out of what is in Scripture is this beautiful God who is with us all along, knows all along what's going to happen, and has planned all along how He will rescue us from ourselves. And in fact, this, the subtitle to the Jesus Storybook Bible, and maybe to our lives as we're talking about it here, we tend to compartmentalize, but the subtitle is, Every Story Whispers His Name. Yeah. You know, God uses all of it. God is in all of it for good purposes. Can you talk a little more about that? Yes, I think, well, it goes back to if you read the Old Testament just with the eyes of this is all about rules that I have to follow, you're in despair and there's no hope because hmm. we all know our own hearts and our own, we can just determine I'm going to do this and we fail within minutes of getting up. <laughs> um, but I think if you believe every story whispers his name, that from, I mean, it blew me away when I realized even in the fall, even in the garden, God is moving towards us to clothe us with skins, to say, where are you? Already, the minute we've broken his beautiful creation by our own sin, he's moving towards us. That is mm -hmm. so beautiful. And I don't think you can, there's no greater story than that, that the one who we wound and say, oh, forget you, we don't want you, won't stop loving us and will move heaven and earth to be with us. And that every single story in the Bible is there to say, look, 
I found a way to rescue you. I found a way to make this all work again. And also the beauty of what God does is it's not like it's second best. He somehow works suffering to make it all the more beautiful for having been so sad. That's to me, how does that work? Only God could do that. Yeah. And Sally, what I hear you saying too, like along your journey, there were these tiny invitations, like these small invitations for you to still lean in despite the rules and the box maybe that you were putting God in. You were still leaning into him. Would you say that all of those invitations and walking into those were the accumulation of you writing Jesus Storybook Bible? Like, I'd love to know from when you experienced Redeemer Church to then going into writing the Jesus Storybook Bible, what that journey was like. Right. Well, what I've learned from my life is I don't have any idea what I'm doing at the time. But thank goodness God knows. <laughs> and he, you know, I know I relate you. to that. And it's interesting. Yeah. You know, people think I set out to write the Jesus Storybook Bible. I didn't. I mm-hmm. I had been brought up in a Christian home. I really didn't want to be writing inverted commas Christian books. I just wanted to write stories and mm. write for children. So that I had no sort of agenda. And I was working in publishing because I didn't believe I could write because of a lot to do with what was in my head telling me. But I thought, well, if I can't write my own books, at least I could work on other people's. So then I got a job sort of on the wrong side of the desk, but not really. God was in charge, but I was an editor (laughs) and I'm working in publishing and then I get laid off and I had no income. I had no savings. Well, I had some savings, not very much. Apartment in New York and it felt like a dead end. I look back now and that was my promotion. You know how Joseph goes down into the dungeon Mm. and that's really his promotion. That's his pathway to becoming the prince of Egypt. He couldn't Mm. become the prince without going to the dungeon. Well, when I lost the job, I now look back and I'm just in awe of what God was doing. It didn't look Mm. like that. It looked like I was losing out. I was working for Reader's Digest. That was a huge corporation and I was just this one freelancer person with no work. So that was in 2000. So if you had to bet, you would have bet on the big, huge corporation, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Well, fast forward now, that corporation isn't anymore. Wow. And God has provided every single step of the way. But the more amazing thing really is that, and I hope this is encouraging to your listeners, God put me in a place that was a narrow place that I had no way out <laughs> to sort mm-hmm. of trap me because I needed money I had to find a way Hmm. to make money. And because I was in that state, that was where the opportunity to write the book came in. Now, if I hadn't been in a narrow place, I probably wouldn't have had the vision. I would have thought Mm. a Bible is only for the church. That's not my call. I'm called to write for all children. I'm not just in a club. That would have been what I thought because I wasn't thinking big enough. I wasn't thinking that God could give me a book that would reach everyone and be exactly my call. I thought Mm -hmm. because I was limited that a Bible was only for the church. But because I had to have money, so sometimes I say this, it's not really true, but I like to shock people. I wrote it for the money. But (laughs) I like to say it because I think God uses really not very holy sounding things to get us exactly where we need to be. And he Mm. put me in a place where I said, okay, I'll write this. I'll do a good job. It'll be good. And then I'll move on to my other books. So I start to research it. And all I can say is there was a day when I was thinking, yes, I'm going to do a good, this will be a good job, but my heart wasn't in it. Mm. But the next day, 
There was a dividing line. Before I would have said that, after I would have said, I remember thinking, oh my word. And it was because I was soaking myself in the story. I mm. was researching all the connections of, of Genesis all the way through to the end of the book and how it all connects. And I started to see the big story. And I thought, oh my word, if I gave this everything, mm. this would be amazing. What if C.S. Lewis was writing a book like this? What would he do? And the mm. minute I started thinking like that, it was nothing about money. It was about my imagination caught fire. And I really believe at that point, I just was doing it because I was on fire. And mm. I gave it everything. And that was where the book came. So it wasn't at the beginning of the book that I had the book. I was just following the clues because I needed money. But God used mm. that to give me the book he wanted me to write. And once he did that, then I was like a tiger. I wouldn't settle for bad art. I wouldn't settle for bad design. And I had to stand up for that. And that was very hard because I'm a people pleaser. I don't like, <laughs> quote unquote, being difficult, which is, I think, nonsense. We as women tend to do that. But mm. a friend of mine said, no, you should be difficult because if this is a book God's given you, you know enough to know it has to be presented correctly or it won't go anywhere. Mm. And you know, Jesus story by Bible is a picture, it has pictures. So unless the pictures are right, the pictures are like the front door of your book. If they're not right, no one will even read your text. So mm -hmm. it was a long journey. It wasn't easy. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. But mm -hmm. I am so grateful God pursued me, bore with me, didn't mind my terrible motivation at the start. <laughs> I think maybe, <laughs> I don't think he's shocked by that. He knows we have to make money and we're just sheep. So and, you know, he honored that prayer when I said, Lord, when I thought about how huge a responsibility and I said to him, you've got me into this mess. I can't do it. You've got to do it. So unless you do it, it won't get done. I kind of love that prayer because it's sort of throwing it all on him. <laughs> yeah, there's relief in that prayer because yeah. we're just not strong enough to carry the types of adversity that yeah. we experience. And that's what I just love about your story is that your adversity brought you to a place of opportunity, even if the adversity was, I have zero money in my bank account yes. and I have no yes. idea how I'm going to eat. Right. Mm -hmm. I just love what you said about how the promotion was in the dungeon. Like that is so powerful because I think sometimes when we are in the dungeon, we think that this is punishment instead yes. of promotion. Yes. And we mm -hmm. think that we should be, like we should stay in the dungeon and that there is no opportunity for purpose anymore because this is painful or because this is hard or the adversity is just like, just feels heavy on our chest. And I just love that you were able to see it as an opportunity. And I just love your honesty about how you're like, I needed money. Like, like that's just so, <laughs> that is so true. I have, there have been so many moments in my life where I'm like, I have been so broke and just like, Lord, like I felt like it was punishment, you know, for mm -hmm. mistakes I made or maybe the choices that I should have made. Like we talked about should earlier, like choices that I should have made and I didn't. And this is where I'm at and thinking that, God, are you going to show up in this? And he just yes. does it in the most unconventional way. I know. <laughs> I would love to get to the point where when things go wrong, my first reaction wouldn't be panic, but it might be, oh, I wonder what God's up to. Because if you look mm. back on your life, you can see it, but it's very hard in the moment. And God, under he understands that. But I love the idea that maybe like in this time that we're all in, so many people are suffering terrible tragedies and grief. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm 
I feel very grateful. I'm in a place that I'm safe and I can work and I'm so grateful. And I'm very conscious other people are not privileged like that right now. They're suffering and it's very hard when you're in the middle of all that to, to know that underneath it all, like God's, like in Joseph's story, God is working everything together to turn everything around. It doesn't mean the thing is good, but he will bring good. He won't let the enemy have the last word and he won't let death and sickness and destruction have the last word. Yeah. But it's hard in the middle of, but I think that's why we need each other. Because when you're in the middle of that, you can't necessarily see that, but you don't have to. You can be carried by your friends like that paralytic Mm -hmm. who was carried to Jesus and they broke down the roof to get to Jesus, but the paralytic was just lying there. Yeah. The story of the paralytic that Sally just referenced is in Matthew chapter 9, and she's right. His community, his friends, carried him to Jesus, and that's how he was healed. Such a beautiful picture of what it looks like to care for one another, and what a great spot to end our conversation with Sally. I also love the idea that the dungeon can be the promotion, but that doesn't mean it's easy for us to be in the dungeon. So having that community to help carry you to Jesus or being that friend for someone else is so important. Mm, That is so good, Elisa. Well, before we close out today's episode, just a quick reminder that the show notes are available in the podcast description. The show notes not only contain the talking points for today's episode, but they also include a link to a free resource. It's a digital download titled Comparison the thief of joy. This free download can help us understand how comparison can leave us depressed and anxious and how discovering joy can fuel gratitude, service, and a thriving connection with God. And this download is yours for free. Just click on the link in the podcast description or visit our website at godhearsher.org. That's godhearsher.org. Not only will you find this free e-booklet, but you'll also find a link to purchase the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And you'll also find links to connect with Aaron and me and Sally on social media. We would love to hear from you and answer any questions that you might have or, you know, even just to pray for you or just to connect. So check out the show notes on our website, godhearsher.org. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget, God hears you. He sees you. And he loves you because you are his. Today's episode was engineered by Ann Stevens and produced by Daniel Ryan Day and Mary Jo Clark. And today we also want to recognize Gabby and Alicia for their help in creating and promoting the God Hears Her podcast. Thank you, friends. God Hears Her is a production of our Daily Bread Ministries.